Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Hello from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I are here with Trent and Eric. So Trent and Eric were over this morning. We had a meeting here at the station, and then they were kind enough to stay over this afternoon with us for a little while and record a podcast. So thank y'all for hanging around Stoneville. Happy to. He's either going to kill the conversation that we were just having by starting to record, or the conversation is just going to completely change. Well, do we always have stuff like that that we talk about before we hit record, and then we either say, hey, you know, we were talking before we started recording, or it never, if we get back to the same topic, it never is as good as it was before we hit record. So I thought, well, maybe if we just, I should have just hit record. and Oh, yeah, and just kept that going, because the conversation about the nematode thing is just extremely important and will become more important moving forward. Well, by the time I thought about it, the context was going to be off, so I didn't. That's why I said... Hey, I'm gonna hit start on this. <laughs> well, the nice thing is, is, Eric's had time to marinate in that and jot some notes down. And Trent's just kind of grinning at me because I'm gonna use a, a Tom. I will say we'll circle back. That's right, circle back. Ooh, yeah. That's, that's, I still use it. It's one of my favorite things to say. It's spectacular. Right? Every time I hear it, I just think does, of Tom Allen. It does nothing. <laughs> it, make, it makes you chuckle it every does, single time. It every makes time. me chuckle when I say it. We're just gonna circle back. We I mean, you got to admit, I mean, there's something for you. Circle back. That's right. Uh, Trent, Tom sitting over here eating corn chips and dill pickles. Are those dill pickles? Those are dill pickles. Corn Single chips. Single serving dill pickles. I pulled them out of the cooler of the truck and somebody the other day, their eyes popped out of their head. They're like, is that a single serving dill pickle pack? I'm like, it I, is. I'm guessing you overpaid for those. That's it's fine. That's the that's the price you pay for the convenience of the single serve. I guess pack. so. Exactly. Man, are they good? I had no idea they even they even made those in so, single serve packs. My question to you, Trent, and this Tom eating corn chips made me think about it. <laughs> What's the one thing that Trent Irby absolutely will not eat? Mmm. There's quite quite a few things that Trent Irby won't should, eat. Maybe I should have asked Eric. Onions. I can't eat onions. onions. Okay. Can't do it. More for me. More for my little man, too. He, that little two-year-old, that sucker can smash oh, some man. onions. I love them. They're awesome. Red onions, the dahlias, any of them. I will offer figs to you. Not touching a fig, any shape, form, or fashion, up to and including a Newton. Not. <laughs> Touching it. Why not? It's the nastiest thing ever created. I'm sorry. I beg to differ. I think you just haven't had it prepared correctly. He uh, even lumped Fig uh, Newtons into that. Off the tree, out of a jar as jam or jelly or whatever. Or now, in a okay. I will partake in fig preserves or jam or jelly, or whatever you want to call it, because people would call it something different. I will partake in that. Those are actually all different. They are. I couldn't tell you what the difference is, but they are Me neither, but you get people that will interchange the three, and you can't interchange the three because they are three completely different things. Not a big fan of that. If I'm going for a spreadable, sugar-based item to go on my toast, that's not going to be... In the top five. But you don't eat bread, so that conversation is irrelevant. I eat wheat bread. 
Eric, weigh in <laughs> on the one thing Eric Larson will not eat. Oh, probably canned meat. I'm a meat person, I guess, but when, when you all start talking about stuff that you won't eat, there's not much that I don't won't eat, I guess. But, uh, you know, I was thinking about, I can't remember the name of it, I guess, the uh, especially the fish-based meat that's in a can and stuff like, well, like that. like tuna? No, I will eat tuna, actually. Um, of course, fresh tuna is a whole lot better than, than well, canned yeah, tuna. That, but uh, That's not even the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to eat a Vienna sausage? Uh, yeah, I'll eat some of those actually. Uh, but I'm thinking about the canned See, there's some exceptions. So you're talking about like like deviled ham, spam, ground up mystery meat in a can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not necessarily just ground. I'm just thinking of other things like that, I guess. My dad used to buy some for coon bait when he did some trapping on the side (laughs) anyway, but stuff, stuff like that, you know. That's a good use for it. Yeah. Man, we had Vita sausages come up multiple times in a month. Uh, right? Yeah, we did. I think we should. We need to play like podcast bingo and start working some of those things in there. You can't make that up. No, you can't. I don't partake in those. So, Trent, it's going to be the end of September, last week of September, when we drop this next week. So we are fast consuming the Mississippi Delta, and there's trucks everywhere, long lines. Where do you think we are on harvest progress on soybeans? Man, we're over halfway. It mesmerizes me every year when when you look at planting and how fast we plant this world. But when we have good harvest weather, man, we can mow them down. Uh, I, I enjoy watching the the way that the progress goes. But yeah, we're we're between fifty and sixty percent out, probably probably in the low fifties as of today. But you know, we'll vastly increase that by the weekend. It's changing by the minute. Uh, particularly with a chance of rain the first right. part of next week, there's going to be a sense of urgency in there too. Eric, how much corn's left? We should be essentially finished. I mean, we've been over 80% finished since really the second week of September. Um, we're at least two weeks ahead of schedule. You know, we haven't had any weather delays basically since, well, we, we haven't had any, any weather delays really since harvest has started in, in mid-August. So we made it, – it, Tremendous progress. It's basically been on fire all all fall so far. So just some stuff here and there. Yeah, I mean the later planted stuff. The up in northeast Mississippi, where they don't quite have the ability to to store that higher moisture corn, so they don't really typically start until things start. You know, get sixteen percent or less. That, that's where the always the, the latter part of corn harvest comes into play. There's some around Lambert. I can say that because I was there the other evening. May not be there now, but that was like Monday night. I was around that area. Teasdale, Lambert, there was some in that general area, somewhere around like Tallahatchie County and that. But it wasn't a lot. The bulk of everything I've seen has been out of the field. Yep. So either one of y'all, what's your unofficial feed back on yield? Corn yields have been very good. You know, I'm really expecting statewide yields to push record yield levels this year, which it's been a number of years since we had a really good corn year because of numerous issues. Primarily, the the biggest environmental factor that I see that affects corn yields, particularly irrigated corn yields, is the nighttime temperatures during the first 30 to 40 days after tasseling, which is going to be basically the temperatures during June and 
you know, up until July 10th or 15th, somewhere in that time frame. This year we had moderate temperatures in the 70 degree region, and that's really the magic number where we produce our highest yields. If we look back at, at previous years, 2017, when we set the previous record yield level, we had low nighttime temperatures that year. And really every year, except for the flood year, we've had temperatures well above normal, which have held yields back. And we used to be every other year, every three years, we'd set a record yield level. Um, management is increasing. Obviously, the technology and the hybrids and everything that goes into producing crop is steadily getting better. So we could, we should be continuing to produce higher yields every year. But it's it's been, you know, since 2017 where we set a new record yield level because of those environmental limitations, along with the flood in 2021, I guess. And we've had good yields both in irrigated corn, which I focused on a little bit in that explanation, as well as the dryland yields across the other parts of the, of the state that have a lot of dryland corn. They've been, you know, a lot of 200 bushel plus or better yields. What kind of feedback are you getting, Trent? I've said this a lot uh, when I answer questions like this. Is it depends on where you're standing, but I think of this course. is probably the most drastic case of that, that that I have witnessed in my career. We have exceptional yields on this irrigated crop. Certainly record-breaking potential uh, as a whole when you factor that in, but the non-irrigated stuff really just de- depends on where you're standing. I've heard some complete losses in, in far south Mississippi. Some of those fields have been plowed under, uh, cut for silage. You go over to east Mississippi, they might have missed a rain or two. What has been harvested over there so far is, is better than expected, uh, and, and, then, and then some just kind of in the middle between all that, but Overall, I feel like we're going to be at uh, maybe even a little bit above our, our previous record. I think the potential still exists to, to break the record, but um, we, we certainly took a, a hit with the, with the drought that we had and, and some of this dryland stuff. Well, what's the current Mississippi State soybean yield record? 54. 54. How many times have we exceeded the average yield record in the last, say, 10 years let's see we've broken it six times i think i would have said more years than not over the yes. last 10 well, we've we've had 54 three times we've we've tied that record we broke it set that record and then we've tied it twice since we we set it what was the record say just guessing like 2010 around 40 so i mean we've gone up significantly yeah. i mean yeah. 40 to 54 on a two to two and a half million acre crop, that's a humongous swing, man. It's gigantic. It absolutely is. And and to some of the points that Eric made about technology and, and better management, intensive, more intensive management, and certainly the, the technology that goes into producing some of these varieties that we have access to. What's the record for corn, Eric? 187 bushels an acre. And how many years have we met or exceeded it, say, in the last 10 or 12 well, since 2017, we haven't. Right. Um, before that, I would say about every other year, we were setting a new yield record. Okay. And you explain why, you know, pretty thoroughly why we haven't since 17. Yeah. And a lot of that was beyond anyone's control. We're definitely trending up, you know, in our, the times we've been doing this on both of those, definitely not flat. Probably too early to talk about next season's intentions. Would you yeah. both agree with that? I think so. Give it a few weeks, and it'll be, it'll be coming around by then. Anybody talking about that at all right now, Eric? For corn? Or no, not really. They're still 
running around getting stuff broken yeah, I mean, up and ready to roll for next year. We've certainly had weather to be busy in the field yet, so hadn't got much feedback about the intentions and that sort of thing at this point. What about anything new you've gathered from doing on-farm trials? Yeah, that's what I wanted to hear. Is there anything specific, y'all, and it doesn't have to be related to yield, just anything new or interesting that you've seen in your trip trials that you've done for 2023? Probably the most interesting thing for corn is, um, you know, we always have a little turnover in hybrids and so forth, and certainly we did this year. We've got a separate set that we plant in multiple irrigated locations got a separate set that we plant in dryland locations it's rare i guess that you come across a corn hybrid that is the top yielding racehorse irrigated hybrid and it also is a top dryland hybrid and this year it appears like based upon our uh, yield results from our county trials or our corn hybrid demonstration program that there's a hybrid that has that unique set of skills or characteristics where not only does it have top end yield potential in irrigated fields, but it's also basically dominating the dryland trials or is very consistent there as well. And that's that's very rare. And we always focus on yield, I guess, but there's other characteristics that we look at in those trials and stuff too, I guess. In our hybrid trials, probably the primary thing that we look at is that is that big contributing factor is stock quality in general. And we focus on, you know, whether the hybrid will stand upright at harvest time. I've spent a tremendous amount of time in, in harvesting these plots, riding the combine and rating these hybrids for three different characteristics that we look at in terms of separate qualities that those hybrids have that relate to stock quality. Um, There's two different types of lodging that you may have, whether the entire plant falls over from the base of the soil, which is called root lodging. And the problem with that is it lays flat on the ground and actually partially uproots part of the roots, so it's extremely hard for a combine to pick up and recover ears from those root lodge plants. So that that's a very serious issue. Stock lodging also occurs, and that's just simply stalks that are bent or broken below the ear. Um, you can usually pick those up at the combine. Um, obviously, you got to lay the header down to the ground and try to pick those up or drive slow to reduce your speed, reduces your efficiency somewhat. And then I also rate hybrids. Sometimes, you know, 90% of these plots that we harvest have no problems with, with lodging whatsoever, either root lodging or stock lodging. But I can get a good indication of this overall what I call stock integrity by simply looking at the number of stocks above the ear. A lot of times those will start to degrade and they will fall over at the first sign of any wind or, or storms. And, uh, that's a good indicator or what I would call the best indicator of future, you know, short of seeing some sort of stock lodging, either the, the, the root or the stock lodging. If the top has broke out, more than likely the rest of that stock is going to decompose shortly following that point. So if that, if that occurs, it's, it's a signal that that hybrid does not have the stock quality and strength that, that other hybrids do. So I, I classify that as stock integrity overall. The only other thing that I would add, I guess, to that discussion about stock quality in general is that we've had some serious issues with a, another stock condition called green snap over the past couple of years. That's from mid-season, particularly pre-tassel stock breakage that occurs from a 
windstorm that comes through during the time period when that stalk is rapidly growing. There is a period in there when it's rapidly growing and elongating where that stalk is relatively brittle, and there's a huge difference amongst hybrids. So we've had some serious issues where folks have lost, you know, 75, 80% of their yield potential in individual fields in some regions from that, that unique thing. So if that ever occurs on your farm, um, that's a very important characteristic to consider in terms of hybrid selection and certainly something that those growers will always be aware of in the future. But if you've never had that on your farm, it can easily be overlooked. But we scrutinize our, our hybrid trials in these 20-some locations of these county trials or corn hybrid demonstration programs. That's a great opportunity for us to evaluate hybrid characteristics across a bunch more locations than what we would typically have just in the corn OVT program. So that's one of the unique benefits that, that we get out of doing this extra program that not only strengthens the yield data that we have, but also allows us to see different hybrid characteristics um, that will have a dramatic impact possibly on our profitability of our program in the future. We talked about green snap earlier in the summer, didn't we? When the storms came through in June, didn't we have some were quite a bit affected by green snap? Yeah, it's always in localized areas. Obviously, we probably talked about hail damage, and that was the predominant issue that we had this year. But there was a little green snap mixed into that, and certainly there was some big problems with that last year in 2022. Have you got any feedback on those areas that were affected and the fields that were that they farmed on out and were able to harvest on that on the hail damage in general yeah i mean there was damage all across the board we had some areas that we were talking about before we started hit the record button where not only did they have you know 80 or 90 percent defoliation of the corn plants but they also had green snap that snapped Probably 80% of the stocks off along with that. That was a total catastrophe situation where they basically abandoned that crop in a, in a few situations and replanted corn, much to Tom's delight over there, uh, because they had some serious concerns with, with disease development on that late planted corn that was planted about the 1st of July. The but, only nice way to put that is late planted corn in Mississippi just does one thing. It gets ugly. It gets uglier than the early planted stuff because you're going to end up with everything on it later in the season. Yeah. That's that's the one main reason I try to urge the conversation whereby somebody says, hey, we've got wheat and we're thinking about planting corn after wheat. And I'm like, well, I don't know that I'd put corn after wheat because of your fusarium issue, but let's not plant corn late if you don't have to because you're going to end up with a southern rust nightmare. Absolutely hear the same thing from consultants or anybody else working that that crop late. Certainly it's well out of the norm and a lot of things that we take for granted are going to come into play with that late planted crop for sure. Trent, on all your on-farm stuff, have you seen anything that's been interesting so far this year? We still have a, a ways to go to get, get ours out to, you know, form any trends from that perspective, but a lot of what we do I guess is real similar to the stuff that Eric looks for. We we have our county and variety sets broken out by soil texture, basically. So so we'll have a set that's specific to heavy clay soils and another set that's, that's specific to mixed to lighter textured soils. Uh, and you know, to Eric's point of looking at and, and seeing, you know, which which hybrids in his case you know, respond 
different in those different situations. One of the things that I like to look for is those that, that do both. Uh, I really like those varieties that can handle both situations. And, and there are there are some out there that, that can be good regardless of soil texture. We often don't get an opportunity to evaluate uh, you know differences in a non-irrigated situation for drought stress because let's be honest you know the last eight or ten years we really haven't had super droughty conditions like we did this year so I do feel like this year we we have an opportunity to to kind of see if we can notice any kind of trends in those non-irrigated plots to, to see about drought tolerance with some of this new stuff of course there's always change over every it feels like every three or four years we have a pretty substantial variety changeover, and there's quite a few in there this year that are either first or second year uh, entries into it. So, you know, still still stuff to learn from them. Any take-home points from either of y'all moving into 2024? Broad brushstrokes at this point. I know you're not done looking at data. Data will be available quickly. I mean, I've been releasing a lot of this stuff on social media from our plots, individual locations as we harvest those to try to get that, that out as quickly as possible. That Folks already asking for, you know, the data summaries, and we're still, we still got a couple yet to harvest, but, uh, you know, we're updating that every day, running data till we go to bed at night, basically, and get up and harvest another plot in the morning, so. Yeah, I feel it's, that. It, it's coming, coming along. Yeah, like, like Eric said, you know, I, I, I think this is a, a great opportunity, and, and we certainly try our best to, to provide those data as quick as we can summarize everything and get those publications put together and release it. Uh, but it is good. It's good for our growers to have access to that while everything's fresh. And you know, there's a lot you can learn from these varieties and, and hybrid trials, especially from the seed of a combine, you know, to see how these things uh, react in, in different different settings and different production practices and, and environmental conditions. So. I guess my take-home message would be would be just stay tuned for those data because I, I think that they're extremely valuable. And when we talk about maximizing yield and ultimately profitability, I would argue that there's probably not another thing that we could do uh, in terms of making a decision that costs us no money uh, than picking the right variety in the case of soybeans or hybrid in the case of corn. Wow, yeah. And the more time you spend looking at those and the more data you generate, it's just it's super important to look at as many locations and that's why y'all do it at so many locations because it's important to consider how that variety or hybrid performs across multiple environments especially in a year like this where it was so hot and dry and irrigation was relied on as much as it was we're grateful for the those seed companies that, that participate in in our programs and, and then of course the, the agents and the and the producers that cooperate with us to put these uh together because I, I think that it, both are, are extremely valuable tools that we can use to make these important decisions. Absolutely. That's absolutely critical, and there's a tremendous amount of work and cooperation that go into these, so hopefully folks uh, find them very valuable. Trent, since we have you here in person, why don't you take a opportunity for a first plug for the row crop short horse? Sure, yeah. December 4th, 5th, and 6th will be this year's row crop short course. It'll be at the Mill Conference Center in Starkville. Hopefully by the time we play this, uh, I'll have a full link that we people can book their hotel rooms. But we're still getting the room blocks agreed upon with the hotels and, and things of that nature. Uh, so more announcements in the, and then the preliminary program, of course, will be released here 
in the next few days, and, and we'll also get those links to the lodging options and things for the, the room blocks and the discount for the room nights. Yeah, I know Whitney's been <clears throat> circulating emails, making sure titles are right and stuff like that, so I expect that program to show up here just any time now. Well, I've we've communicated with lots of sponsors, and uh, all indications are right now that we'll have a, another large crowd again this year like we like we have had the last few, so December 4th, 5th, and 6th. And y'all have your variety and hybrid information available by then. We'll have the weed control guide and you know insect control guide. Thank y'all for coming. Tom, thank you for jumping off the road for a while. I know you've been running around uh, finish, finishing up stuff, so thank you for slowing down long enough to, to capture some content for us. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.